Well, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we are going to read about David and Goliath. If you've been with us, you know going verse by verse through 1 Samuel, we have read how King Saul became the very first king of Israel. And although he started off okay, he soon showed his true colors. He disobeyed the Lord and began to live for his own glory, for his own praise. He even built himself a big monument to make sure everybody knew how amazing he was. And because Saul turned away from the Lord, God said that he was going to take the throne away from Saul and give it to somebody else who's better than him. Last week in chapter 16, we read about that better than Saul. God sent Samuel, the prophet, to anoint the future king of Israel, one of the sons of Jesse. Now, Jesse's sons were all lined up, ready to meet the prophet Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 6, we read, So it was, when they came, that Samuel looked at Eliab and said, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed is before him. Now, Eliab was the firstborn son of Jesse. He was big, strong, tall. He looked impressive. He looked like a king. But, verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Jesse presented all of his sons before Samuel, but God didn't choose any of them until they went and called for the youngest, David, the young shepherd boy, the one who wasn't even invited to this feast to meet the prophet. And when David came before Samuel, God said, arise, anoint him, that's the one, he's my guy. And so young David was anointed. Samuel poured oil on David's head, symbolizing the fact that God's Spirit was coming upon David, and he would be the future king of Israel. However, for now, King Saul is still on the throne. He doesn't have God's Spirit anymore. He doesn't have God's blessing on the throne, but he's still going to hold on to that throne for another 15 years. Now we pick up the story in chapter 17. In verses 1 through 11, we read about Goliath and the Philistines. Verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. Now, if you recall, the Philistines are next-door neighbors to the nation of Israel. They're on the western side. They were enemies, and they often fought together because the Philistines were part of the Canaanites that were supposed to be driven out and destroyed when Israel came in. Um, Not to get into that, but they were being judged by the Lord, the Philistines, and the Canaanites because they had not repented. Now, both armies are currently camped in Israel territory, and we read in verse 3, The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. And so you can just imagine the anxiety in the air as both these armies are prepared for battle, ready to begin fighting at any moment, but the battle has yet to begin. And verse 4, 
a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. A cubit is a measurement from your elbow to the tip of your fingers, so roughly 18 inches. And so six cubits in a span, that puts Goliath somewhere around nine feet tall. Verse 5, he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. So his, his armor weighed about 150 pounds of bronze. Verse 6, and he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. So he's completely covered in this metal armor. Verse 7, now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. So just the head of Goliath's spear weighed almost as much as a 16-pound bowling ball. That's pretty hefty. Now, here's a life-size replica of Goliath's spear at the Creation Museum in Kentucky. Just look at how massive that is. And that was the biggest guy on staff they had holding that, too. So this is a big weapon for a big dude. Now, verse 8, Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. You see, Goliath was proposing a, a one-on-one battle. Instead of a full-scale attack where both sides lose a lot of men and resources, let's do a 1v1. And if I win, you guys surrender. If I lose, we'll surrender, and we'll make it simple. And so, verse 10, And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, do you remember how, how tall King Saul was? We read back in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, it says, And Saul's father had a choice and handsome son, whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So who's the tallest guy in all of Israel? Saul. So if anybody was going to try to fight Goliath, who did the people expect it to be? Saul because he's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And so, all of Israel, but especially Saul, man, they're just quaking as they see Goliath offering this challenge. They're terrified by him, and they know that they have no chance. And Saul, he says, I don't want to go. (laughs) And so, verses 12 through 30, David learns about Goliath. Look at verse 12 with me. Now, David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. 
David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. If you remember last week, the last section of the chapter talked about how King Saul was uh, being bothered by an evil spirit, and he sought for a man that would lead worship for him and give him relief, and David was that man. And so David was the special worship leader for King Saul. But David wasn't always at the palace hanging out with Saul leading worship. He often went back home to take care of the sheep. And that's where we find him now. And so verse 16, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Imagine that. For forty days, you wake up in a tent, you put on your armor, and you get ready for a battle that you hope never starts. And every morning and every evening, Goliath comes out and he offers this challenge that nobody wants to take. It will be a terrifying time, living in constant fear. And so, verse 17, Then Jesse said to his son David, <clears throat> Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. So Jesse's worried about his older boys, sending David to check on them. Verse 19, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Not really fighting, but getting ready to fight. And so David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and he took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. So as this day begins, both the armies are out, lined up, ready to start yelling at each other. And David joins alongside his brothers. But before we move on, I want us to notice two little details. First of all, the text told us that when David got there to the battle, he took those supplies, the food, and he left them in the hand of the supply keeper. He didn't just get there and just drop them on the floor and then find his brothers. I'm not saying that's what I would have done, but I might have done that. And not only that, but when David left home... He didn't just abandon the sheep at home, but it says that he left the sheep in the hand of a keeper. I think this is so important, even though they're small details, because David was faithful in the little things. And if you want to take notes today, that's your first fill in the blank on the back of your note sheet. David was faithful in the little things. Whether he was leading worship for King Saul, or watching the sheep at home, or even delivering food, David was trustworthy, and he was responsible. I think sometimes we as believers, we want to do something big for Jesus. But God wants us to be faithful in the little things first. Be faithful at home when nobody else is around. Be faithful at work when nobody else at work is. Be faithful in private when only God sees. And then you'll be like David, and you'll bring glory to God. Now, verse 23, David's there with his brothers, and it says, Then David talked with his brothers. There was the champion, 
the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. And so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. We just get this idea or image of Israel all lined up for battle. They've got all their armor and their weapons and they look ready. And yet when Goliath shows up and Goliath takes a step forward and says, give me a man, they all step back. They say, not me. They don't want to be that man. And they step back in fear because they don't want to be even close to Goliath. They're shrinking away. Now look at verse 25. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. Now, pause right there. Notice the progression of Israel's response to Goliath. We first read back in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Then we read in verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. First they heard Goliath, then they saw Goliath, and now their minds are dwelling on Goliath. Have you seen this guy? He's crazy big. He's a monster. And they're dwelling on Goliath instead of dwelling on God. They knew it was an impossible situation because they only factored in Goliath's strength and their weakness. But look at what happens next. Start at verse 25 again. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. So the rewards for killing Goliath, riches, you get to marry the princess, an exemption from taxes. And as these men are discussing these rewards, David's standing right there. He's listening to to all of it. And so, verse 26, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, "Uh, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Riches, the princess, no taxes. David was clearly interested in these earthly rewards. But he also recognized that this was not the Philistines versus Israel, but it was the Philistines versus the living God. Notice that huge difference. Israel heard and they saw Goliath and they shook in fear. David heard and saw Goliath and he said, who does this guy think he is trying to defy the living God? Nobody's a match against God. And that's our next lesson we learned from David. He knew the living God. David knew the living God. Therefore, where Israel only saw Goliath and themselves, David saw Goliath, Israel, and the living God. Where Israel saw it's impossible to win, David saw it's impossible to lose because we're on God's side. We have a covenant with the living 
God. And so, verse 28, now Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Eliab, he's angry. He's angry that David was asking about Goliath and asking, so what are those rewards again? I know I just heard them, but could you tell them again? And Eliab says, get out of here. You're unworthy to be here on the battlefield. You're insignificant, David. Go home. And not only that, but Eliab also presumed to know what was in David's heart. How sad it is when those close to us are the ones who bring discouragement. And how dangerous it is when we presume to know what's in somebody else's heart. Verse 29, and David says, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. So what are those rewards again for the guy that kills Goliath? And these people answered him as the first ones did. Even though Eliab shot David down, David says, whatever. And he keeps asking about it. And he keeps talking to more people. And now in verses 31 through 37, we read how David seeks to face Goliath. Verse 31. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Now, notice so far, David's words were not, well, I'll kill Goliath, no big deal. He didn't say that. David just said, who does Goliath think he is trying to defy the living God? And that statement alone was so different from everybody else in Israel that King Saul said, I'd like to talk to this guy. He's acting different than everybody else. And so, verse 32, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. Notice that David calls himself Saul's servant. I think that's significant because remember, last chapter, David was already anointed as the future king. And yet David's not trying to make that happen. David's serving and respecting Saul, the current king, even though he's a knucklehead. And he says, I'm your servant. Let me go and I will fight him. But once again, he's discouraged. Saul says, David, you can't. This guy's been fighting wars since you've been in diapers. You have no chance. You can't fight Goliath. Notice that Saul was only focused on the physical, on what Saul could see. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, and I struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. 
Now, this tells us something about David, because I don't know about you, but if a lion or bear took a sheep, I would say, take it. He's yours, right? But not David. He went after it. And verse 37, moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Now, I want us to be clear here that when David talks about his past experiences with the lion and with the bear, David's point was not, Saul, I'm not just a shepherd, I'm a ninja shepherd. I have skills. That's not his point. David's point is, God taught me to rely on him. And when I should have died with the lion, and when I should have died with the bear, God delivered me, because our God is the living God. And when I go up against Goliath, I don't have special skills that are going to defeat him, but I serve the living God. And because Goliath has come to put to death God's people, Israel, Goliath has put a target on himself from the living God. That's David's point. And it's our next lesson that we learn from David on your note sheet. David let God's faithfulness in the past strengthen his faith for the present. God's faithfulness in the past is what strengthened David's faith in the present. David knew that God was the one that delivered him. And as scary as that was, David knew God could also deliver him from Goliath. You see, God wants to use those scary and stressful times in our life to grow our faith, to teach us to rest in Him, and to prepare us and strengthen our faith so that we can face bigger and scarier seasons in the future. Now, I, I know that your flesh, like my flesh, hears that and says, yeah, no thanks. Because what you're saying is, as bad as it is, it's only going to get worse. Well, in some ways, that's true. We live in a fallen world. We live in broken bodies. And until we're in heaven with the Lord, we suffer. But God wants us to look at His faithfulness in the past, the ways that He's taken care of us, the ways that He's strengthened us, so that we can trust Him today with today's struggles, with today's circumstances, with today's enemies. We can trust God to be faithful now because He's been faithful then. Now, in verses 38 through 47, we read how David and Goliath exchange words. Look with me at verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword around his armor, and he tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And you can just imagine what that would look like because Saul was head and shoulders taller than every Israelite. David's a shepherd boy and he's wearing his armor and he tried to walk and he couldn't. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk in these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Consider Saul's foolish plan here. King Saul, he's always concerned with just the external, with the outside. And he says, maybe if I dress up this young shepherd boy to look 
like a warrior king, then we'll have a chance. Take my sword and my armor and go. And David says, I can't even walk. No, thank you. This is not how it's going to work. You see, David's hope wasn't in external appearances, but internal relationship. David's hope wasn't in the external appearances, but in his internal relationship. Remember, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We can dress up our outside to look pretty good. We can even fool lots of other people, but we can't fool God. God wants to have a personal relationship with each of us. And as a result of that relationship, He changes us from the inside out. Because we love Him and follow Him and trust in Him, His Holy Spirit changes us from the inside. So David, dressed like the shepherd boy that he was, and verse 40, then David took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. As David walks up to Goliath, he could not have looked more himself. He could not have looked more the shepherd boy that he was. And so, verse 41, so the Philistine came, and he began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about, and he saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Surely when Goliath saw David, he must have thought, well, this must be a messenger boy. He's not here to fight. He's here to give me a message. But David just stands there. He's like, you defy God. And Goliath says, are you kidding me? It was insulting to Goliath. Remember, Goliath shouted out in verse, 12, in verse 10, give me a man that we may fight together. And yet David's hardly a man. He's a teenager. And verse 44, the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. By this statement, and by the way, this might be one to underline in your Bibles there. By this statement here, David's making it clear to everybody who's witnessing, both the Israelites and the Philistines, that David was relying upon the Lord. David didn't say, I come to you with my sling and my stones. No, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Your next fill in the blank. David trusted in God's power, not his own. He trusted in God's power, not his own. He wasn't trusting in his amazing slingshot abilities, but trusting, God, you're going to give me the victory. And so, verse 46, David continues, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, and the wild beasts of the earth, 
that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now, I love this for several reasons, but one of the reasons is because David one-ups Goliath's threat. Goliath said, David, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to give your body to the birds and the beasts of the field for them to eat your corpse. And David says, well, I'm going to cut your head off, even though I can't reach it. And we're going to kill your whole army, and your whole army is going to be food for the birds and the wild beasts. I just, I love that he does that. Now, David understood that God's blessing of victory over Goliath was ultimately meant to be a message to the world. You see, David understood God's blessings were bigger than just him because David knew that as God delivers Goliath into the hands of this shepherd boy, the whole world's going to know, okay, the God of Israel, he's the one true God. The God of Israel is the living God. Sometimes we can get stuck in our consumer Christianity mindset. And we look at God's love, we look at His sacrifice on the cross, we look at His blessings for us in our life today, and we just have this attitude of, thank you, God. You're my God and you bless me for me. It's all about me. But God's love and His blessing and His plan are actually all about Himself. God does love us. He does bless us. But He wants the world to know that He's the one true God. He wants the nations to praise Him and to worship Him as their God. And David reminds us that our life should be about God, not about ourselves. David continues addressing Goliath in verse 47. And it says, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. David's saying this victory that's going to happen is not just for all the nations to know that God is the one true God, but it's also for my brothers and my king and my nation of Israel who are behind me to know that God does not deliver us by sword or by numbers, but God delivers us by His own strength because the battle is the Lord's. Like Jonathan and his armor bearer several chapters ago, David was willing to follow God even when nobody else was. David was willing to follow God even when nobody else was. And that's how God wants us to be. He wants you and I to be the men and women that will stand up and be willing to walk against the current, to do things differently, even the little things, because we want to honor and love and obey the Lord, to serve and love Him regardless of what everybody else around us is doing. And so verses 48 through 58, we're now going to read how David kills Goliath. Verse 48, so it was... When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and he ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. 
Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off Goliath's head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. We can just imagine David, the shepherd boy, taking Goliath's sword, and as he puts it up, he teeters. And Israel's wondering, is it going to fall backwards or not? And David brings it down, and he cuts off Goliath's head. Now, I don't know about you, but I missed that part in Sunday school. I would have appreciated that part in Sunday school. Now that Goliath is dead, the Philistines saw the power of God. And now the Philistines are the one shaking in fear. Now the Philistines are the one fleeing for their lives. And so, verse 52, Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sha'arim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. So Israel, the nation, they witnessed the power of God. And when God used this little shepherd boy to defeat this massive giant, David's faith and God's miracle were like a splash of cold water on Israel, waking them up from their spiritual sleep. And so now they wake up and they join the fight and they attack and they chase the Philistines all the way back to the Philistines' own lands. Verse 53 Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. So David's holding on to Goliath's head because it was his trophy, a testimony of God's power and God's deliverance. Verse 55, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine... He said to Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then, as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before King Saul, with the head of the Philistine still in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Although David had been Saul's worship leader for those distressing times in the past, Saul was now more curious to David's background. David, are you a descendant of some great warrior? No, I'm just a normal guy. I'm the son of Jesse, the youngest of eight. I'm nobody special, but... I have a heart for the Lord, and I trust that He's the living God. I trust that He can step in and change situations. As we close, I want us to note some similarities between David and Jesus. It's interesting to note how many there are. Both of them were born from Bethlehem. Both had humble beginnings, David as a shepherd and Jesus as a carpenter. Both would become king. Both faced discouragement from their brothers. Both were sent by their fathers. Both defeated an enemy that nobody else would or could face. 
both used the enemy's weapon against them, David using Goliath's sword and Jesus using death in order to conquer the grave and rise from the dead. And both David and Jesus acted as a representative, gaining victory for their people. You see, when David conquered Goliath, every single Israelite instantly became victorious, simply because they were on David's side. And so, too, every believer in Jesus becomes victory, victorious because of Jesus' victory on the cross. Obviously, Jesus is the greater of the two. We read in 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, "'Who is he who overcomes the world?' but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If you put your faith in Jesus, then you become an overcomer. His payment for sin on the cross gets credited to your account when you believe in Him. His victory over death becomes your victory. His resurrection and eternal life in heaven becomes your future, all because you've decided to align yourself with Jesus. If you are not yet following Jesus, then you're like Israel versus Goliath. You can try to put up a show of resistance. You can stand there on the battlefield dressed in your armor, but you have no real hope. You can't defeat that enemy in your own strengths or your own effort, but you don't have to fight. You have to surrender. Surrender to Jesus and follow Him and join His victory on the cross. For His victory and His empty tomb proclaim the living hope that you and I have in Christ. For most of us here today or listening online, we're already Christians. We're already following Jesus. But there are still giants in the land. We hear them mock us. We see their power, and we see our weakness. Maybe it's a sin, like lust or pride, that we just can't get a handle on. Maybe it's a situation that seems hopeless, or a relationship that seems broken beyond repair. Maybe it's just the fact that you want to change your life and turn your life around, but you can't do it in your own strength. And like Israel, we get up every day and we get dressed for battle, but we have no hope. We have no motivation to fight. We're living in defeat. For 16 chapters in 1 Samuel, Israel, for the most part, has acted like their God was dead. They tried to fight in their own strength, in their own power, in their own wisdom. And again and again and again, we see them at impossible odds. We see them in a place of defeat until somebody stands up and says, but we have the living God. And then God would step in. You see, Israel forgot their covenant with God. They forgot that their God is the living God. What about you, church? Have we forgotten that our God is the living God? Have we forgotten to factor God into our impossible situation today? I think most of us believe in the God of history. We know that God spoke everything into existence, creating all things by His power and His intelligence. We believe that He used a shepherd boy to slay a giant. 
I think most of us believe in the God of the future. We believe that Jesus is coming back like He said He is. We believe that Jesus is going to establish His eternal kingdom. We believe that. But do we believe in the God of today? Do we live today recognizing that our God is living and active and present? Do we live today like our God is living and active and present? Guys, I hope you know this is for me as well. To take a pause and to look and say, Lord, do I really treat you like you are living and active and present? Do I really look at my situations and my struggles and my weakness and I factor you into the equation? I invite you to trust in Jesus whether for the first time or all over again, to recognize your weakness, but to also recognize God's strength and His invitation to be your living God, to be your victory and to be your strength. Because Jesus is alive, and He can and He does work miracles, the greatest of which was on the cross and then His empty tomb. We read in Isaiah chapter 40, and we'll close with this. Verses 28 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait on the Lord today. He invites you with whatever you're going through, with whatever giant you're facing, to look to Jesus and say, Lord, I can't, but you can. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I trust this situation to you. But more than that, don't just trust Him with a situation. Trust Him with your heart. Trust Him with your life. And make Him your Lord and your Savior today. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much. Thank You that You are the living God. And God, what a difference that makes. Because the nations, those like the Philistines, they had their gods, but they were idols made of stone or wood or gold. They had to be propped up so they didn't fall over. Their gods had to be carried and moved around as they were worshipped. But not you, Lord. You are living and active. God, you move. God, you work miracles. God, you spoke all things into existence. And you came down and you died on the cross in our place so that any and all who would trust in you would be forgiven. No matter how far we've strayed, no matter how deeply we have sinned, Lord, you invite us to trust in you and to follow you. And Lord, if there's anybody here today or listening online that needs to commit their life to you or rededicate their life to you, Lord, I pray today they'd make that decision. 
And they would say, Lord, I'm tired of living like you're dead. I'm tired of trying to fight these battles on my own. I'm tired of trying to fix my life. Lord, I surrender to you. And I invite you to be my victory. I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior, my God, the living God. Lord, would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit? God, would you anoint us and empower us to be your church? That like David, we could look at your past faithfulness and we can trust you today. God, that like David, we could be faithful in the little things. God, that like David, we could know that you are the living God and that you can change things in a moment. And God, like David, can we look at our lives and recognize it's not about us, it's about you, Jesus. It's about your name and your glory being magnified in the whole earth. For every knee shall bow before you. And God, we pray that it would be willingly as they submit their life to you. And so, Lord, would you use us as your church, use us as your body to bring others to come to know you, to point them to your glory and who you are. And God, may you get all the glory and all the credit and all the praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.